the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Today's guest is Drew Salyer with Drive Team. Welcome, Drew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. And also today we have our safety director, Kent Kreitzer, with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Morning. Good morning, Kent. Um, you set this podcast up with Drew and Drew's with Drive Team. Um, what is this about? Sure. So we, uh, for years, we've always had safety and occupational health resources here at CEA. But over the over the last few years, uh, with the push of the DOT regulations, uh, we're looking for a point of contact for uh, CEA members to rely on. And that brings us to, to Drew. Drew, what do you do? So the biggest part of our business is actually all hands-on training. So from corporations with drivers, police, fire, teenagers, new drivers, we've got to make them better. Speaking of police and fire. <laughs> exactly. we got <laughs> got some good background noise. And uh, the, another part of that that is also kind of hands-on for us and, and the way we approach it and making sure that we get in and understand your business and how it operates, what kind of vehicles do you have, your drivers, what are they driving, how are they driving, and all those pieces um, is how we train with our DOT regulations and understanding the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations. And that's across the states, but then each state applies that as well, and then they can go above and beyond, but they can't do less than what the federal regulations are. So we start there and then go state to state specifically with that. So Drive Team is national? So we are based out of Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, but then we travel to other states as well, putting on different programs. Got it. How long have you been with the company? A little over 20 years for me now. I actually started as a student driver and then uh, have grown up and then bought the business about three, a little over three and a half years ago. Wow, okay. So as student drivers, so they, tra- they train young people? We do, yes. Yes, new drivers getting ready to get that first license. And I know Ken's got one uh, already started. And uh, making sure that above all things, they get home with people that love them every night. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's more than just those minimum standards. We have to set the bar and skill level because our crashes are up 40% uh, year over year the last couple of years. So we've got to make them better, make sure they get home at night. Right, right. And so you mentioned a few a few sources of regulations or maybe regulating authorities, mm-hmm. Department of Transportation. I think you mentioned the Federal Motor Carriers um, yes. structure. Tell us about the authorities in, in this world. So Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations, that's the laws, the regulations that we have to use as commercial drivers, and, and they set those standards. They write those rules. Um, if you have trouble sleeping at night, read a few pages, you'll be out in no time. But uh, it's what we have to use to to operate, and that's what the DOT uses. Most people just listen to this podcast and they want to go sleep. <laughs> Some people that do that. <laughs> we'll just start one. reading the regulations. We'll sleep them right into sleep. Yeah. sleep but um, but DOT gives you operating authority as a commercial business if you have vehicles. Mm-hmm. Then there's the PUCO or PUC, Public Utilities Commission, and then in our case in the state of Ohio, it's a PUCO. And <clears throat> DOT gives you operating authority to operate throughout the United States. And if, let's say we work in Ohio, and but we operate in multiple states, well, that threshold is 10,001 pounds. And that's where some confusion comes into play, just because people just think of CDL vehicles. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm operating across state lines, it's 10,001 pounds. And that could be just a truck. And you're basing that off your GVWR, not the actual weight of the vehicle. So right. GVWR, if I look at the sticker on my door placard, GVWR, take a look at that. If it's over 10 or in combination. 
So your pickup truck plus your trailer, you add those two GVWRs together and they're over 10,001 pounds. Well, now I need a DOT number because I'm a commercial vehicle at that point. Again, not for personal use, but operating as a commercial vehicle. Within the PUC or the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio, it's at a CDL level. So it starts at 26,001 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I know that at times there can be confusion with whether do I need a CDL or not. And with a Class A CDL, it's a combination. So the truck plus the trailer, when you add those two GVWRs together, they are over 26,001 pounds. But the other part of that is your trailer has to be over 10,001 pounds. That's why a lot of trailers, you'll see them, they say 10,000 even or 9,999 pounds. So they don't go beyond that threshold. But when you add those two together, trailers over 10 and the combinations over 26,001, we're now a class A vehicle. Okay. I need a class B with a single vehicle that's over 26,001 pounds. Now you can't operate a vehicle or a trailer that's under 10,000 pounds with your class B. And then there's some class C and endorsements that come into play as well. Um, but that's kind of the def- definition between operating authority with the DOT operating authority with the PUCO. Mm-hmm. And if you have a DOT number, you still have to register with the PUCO, but you don't have to put that PUCO number on your vehicle as well, because I had the DOT number. It covers both. Mm-hmm. If I just operate in Ohio, I need to register with the PUCO and I have a PUCO number on my vehicle. Got it. So 27 years ago, I think I was working in, I'm from Oklahoma. Uh-huh. So I was working for my, uh, my brother's father-in-law. He sold used textbooks. So we'd go and I was like 19 years old. I travel all over the country and pick up, uh, used textbooks from school districts in a 20 foot box truck. Okay. And sometimes we'd rent them from Penske. Sometimes we'd use our own, but I was traveling to Kansas, 19 year old kid driving this 20 foot box truck full of books. And they're super heavy too. And, um, then we got pulled over. I had a partner driver with me and the state trooper said, okay, let me see your log. Okay. What are you talking about? I don't know what, I don't have a log. I don't know what a log is. And so we had to sit there on the side of the road for eight hours, I think, to <laughs> make sure we got an arrest. Um, but I'd imagine a lot of contractors are using people without CDLs, without any kind of specific knowledge of what the regulations are that they're operating under. Do you find that to be the case with some of your clients? We do. Um, and actually, that's how we've gotten some new clients is they just don't understand those regulations and what defines it. How am I operating? And then do, what do I need to do to follow these regulations? Um, mm-hmm. So that's actually how we've gotten some new clients. We got a new client within been a couple of years now where um, they had a vehicle. It's a CDL vehicle. They didn't know it was a CDL vehicle. They just hadn't operated for a long time. This was a pickup truck. It, you know, it was an F550 and they pulled a 15,000 pound trailer behind it. Mm-hmm. Had the capacity to do it, but they fall under a class A at that point. So they just didn't know they get pulled over, have to have a class A. So that's how um, we ended up getting them as a client. What happens to the driver and to the company in that situation? Unfortunately, fines. Um, now, because they did something about it and they reported that back, they were able to get those fines down. Um, but they started off as about twelve grand in fines um, before I think they ended up with about 3500 to 4000 in fines for driving a vehicle without a CDL, not medically qualified, um, didn't have all the paperwork because there's paperwork that comes with having CDL drivers and all those pieces. So the fines can get pretty hefty if, uh, if that happens. You said medically qualified? Yes. Yeah, so when for your 
qualified driver, so there's there's two things. There's your CDL driver, so there's qualified drivers. If I operate between that 10,001 pound marking point and and I'm not at the 26 yet and we're across state lines, I have to be medically qualified. So I fall under all the regulations other than going into the drug and alcohol um, pool. So I have to go get a physical. Usually those are good for two years. Um, the least it can be is one year. And if there's some medical things that they got to work on, they'll give you a temporary medical card for a while, but they check on that and they've got to get you to at least a year. Um, but a lot of times if you're healthy and all is good, it'll be a two year medical card. Okay. Then a CDL, which is a statewide, um, and there are some exemptions to the medically qualified if you're looking at municipalities and cities. But if I don't, if I operate for a company, I don't fall under those regulations. So I have to be medically qualified. And again, same things apply. It's just at that CDL threshold versus the qualified driver threshold. Okay. And that's for the 10,000 to 26,000 range. Correct. Above 26, you still need the medical qualification, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And that's just one state or all states, you still have to be medically qualified unless it's for a city or municipality. So this situation you told us about with the, with the F five fifty or the, the big truck with the trailer, mm-hmm. um, driver got fined. Driver did not get fined. The company got fined in that situation. Okay. Um, who fined them? It would be the, uh, DOT. DOT. Yes. And was it a state trooper who pulled him over? And, yes. Okay. Uh, which could be, so last week was brake safety week. It's probably, if you saw a lot of the white SUVs out, that's motor carry enforcement. They fall under DOT, state troopers. Um, they can even involve local law enforcement and those kind of things as well in those situations. Uh, but, but DOT. That's $12,000 fine initially. And then you guys came in and helped them with that. Well, because they had put a program together and, and showed what they were doing to fix the problem, the company itself, um, mm-hmm. they were able to reduce that fine, but lots of things back and forth. And I'm sure there were some legal fees that they had to do to make sure that that got taken care of as well. Sure. Um, but is the that fine was reduced of all the work that you guys do with drive team? How often is it post accident post ticket? So with, within our DOT training and those kind of things with, with clients we've had for a long time, uh, fortunately we've been able to not have those problems. Um, Um, but a lot of times it is after the fact, um, they have questions they they come to, we've got it through insurance carriers through our our work together with you, with you guys, um, where somebody has a question, Hey, we have this problem. And, and then we come in and and we try and help them. Uh, obviously we want to be proactive and and help them before they have a problem. But Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times it is after the fact, just again, people don't know what they don't know yet. Sure. And you referenced about the PECO, do they uh, enforce as well? Yes. So operating authority in the state of Ohio is DOT, <clears throat> Motor Carrying Enforcement, and the PUCO. So any commercial vehicle can be pulled over just for a safety inspection. They, uh, most times that they're pulled over is due to a vehicle that's over 10000 or over 26000 again, because they want to make sure that their operating authority is correct. So a lot of our contractors... Um, or uh, transient workforces, transient job sites, right? They're not afraid to ask someone to jump in a truck, drive, grab a trailer, and, mm-hmm. and go to the next job, right? And I, and I see a lot of exposure there and potential exposure for um, not being aware of the PCO guidelines as well. When we are uh, transporting equipment or small equipment or tools from one job to the next. So uh, that's that's another reason why we bring Drew in to, to highlight that mm-hmm. potential scenario, Give them the assistance they need to 
navigate those those requirements. And that's where the federal regulations come in too, as well, because the states have adopted those regulations. So even if I'm in a pickup and I'm not at 10,001 pounds, but you have items in that, there's load securement. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to the load securement part of the regulations, I have to prevent anything from falling out, blowing out, or spilling out of the vehicle. Or um, I have to prevent movement front, side, back to back, or vertical. I can't change the dynamics of the vehicle because of whatever is in there. And 25% of commercial motor vehicle crashes are due to falling or shifting cargo. So I don't tie stuff down. You can see it goes all over. It's on the side of the highways. And Mm -hmm. you take a a two-pound bolt that comes out of that, it can do a lot of damage. So uh, understanding those, that that falls into that as well. Yesterday on the way into work, there was an old beat-up truck with a bunch of scrap in the back and huge piece of, like a tire-sized piece of sheet metal is right in the middle of the road, getting run over. could really mess somebody up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Critical. So companies that maybe they don't have big rigs, they don't have huge trucks, but they have work vans. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people have work vans or work small box trucks. Um, how, do the, how, does, how do those fall under the regs? And so they still fall under the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations and within the state of Ohio. Um, now, they wouldn't have to have medically qualified and, and qualified drivers, unless they're going outside the state lines and, and that changes. But if they're just operating within the state, they still have um, rules and laws that I have to obey from that standpoint as a commercial driver. Now, I am held to a higher standard as a commercial driver versus the average public that's just getting from A to B. Um, I'm getting paid to drive. So if I'm getting paid to drive, I'm considered a commercial driver. And therefore I have to be trained, hopefully um, have a, larger knowledge base than the average driver that's out there because there's a lot more on that. And I'm driving a billboard for, for my company mm-hmm. um, and I represent them and, and you want to make sure that sure. they know what they're doing behind the wheel. Is there any obligation to display a company uh, name or logo on a commercial vehicle? If it, if that vehicle again, over 10,000 and if it's a CDL vehicle within the state, there are, um, that's part of those regulations, um, what size, what it has to display, um, where it has to be displayed and visibility, how far away they have to be able to see it. And all of those are, are in those regulations. Now, if you just have a, a car or a small pickup, it doesn't have to be, but usually I would because I want to, that's easy advertisement. The truck's going there anyway. So I have a name on, on that vehicle. So Drew, speaking about the regulations, how often do they, uh, they update the regs? So update wise, um, they, the print of or updating on their website um, happens monthly. Um, now, a lot of it's just grammatical, period, those kind of things that, it, that it's correct. Major, major changes, obviously, like anything from a, from a legal standpoint, they take time. So they got to go through the house. They have to be passed. Um, some of the big ones recently, so last year, 2022, February of that year is when they changed the standards for training to get a CDL. Hmm. And now, since February of 2022, I have to go through training and have to then uh, be put into the federal database. Once I'm put in the federal database and it shows that I've completed that CDL training for whatever I'm going to be driving, then you can go test with uh, the state testing facilities are in Ohio has gone to more third-party testing facilities. And 
when I when I get there, they or they look up when you're scheduling. You're in the system, therefore you're qualified to to test at that point. Before I could just borrow my buddy's semi and a trailer or a dump truck and a trailer, and I could just go take that. That's not the case anymore. Again, because of crashes. Um, so yeah. they're trying to trying to change that a little bit. Um, before that, a lot of changes happened in 2015. Again, with CDL regulations, um, they're changing a few things. You talk about a logbook and having to have a logbook. Mm-hmm. Um, if I operate within 150 air miles, that changes some of those things, whether I have to do that or not, depending on whether you return home and there's specifics, right. again, depending on my business and how that works. Uh, but those are usually big changes um, that things have to happen before that, but they update it kind of monthly. So this mm-hmm. is another benefit of having Drew, right? Because in the past, we never we never had a way to find this information. And he's talking about updates now, and, and we've – we developed a communication process where if there are updates, uh, Drew's going to pass them along so we can post them on our, um, on our social media. Yeah. And, um, and also, um, just through the committee as yeah. well. What, what committee? The, um, DOT committee starts in September 11th. Um, it's our first, first meeting. Uh, we have a, we have a nice turnout so far. We have 30 members who's, uh, emailed me and, and a couple of unions who emailed as well who want to partake. So um, right now the initial plan is to meet uh, twice a year and go through updates and also uh, put together a training curriculum for our, our needs here at CEA for our members that you can assist us with and provide us with. He has a, he has a slew of classes. His drive team has a slew of classes. They do a, a fantastic job. They've been supporting some of our members for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, out there and then to be able to have that as a resource and, and help build the curriculum here at CEA is it's going to be a nice benefit to have. So for a contractor who doesn't know about the committee yet, who would go from a contractor's office or staff who would go to the committee? So this is when it gets dicey, right? And Drew could probably talk about this because our industries, you know, it's, it's split up a couple of different ways. It's either if I have someone running the shop or the machines or the equipment, it might be that individual. It might be the safety professional, um, it might be last guy on a totem pole, right? Who has to manage this? But Drew, you might might be able to speak to that. Who do you typically work with when you when you work with our our contractors? It's kind of across the board, depending on how big they are. So a lot of times it is the safety manager, safety director. Um, sometimes it is the owners, and the, depending on what we're looking at, it it has to deal with. Who is this going to affect? And with those regulations, 80% of what I have to do is administratively within the business, within the ownership and the leaders. Where, But the other 20 does affect the driver specifically, and they're the ones that are out there every day. Uh, they get pulled over. They're the one that's talking to the law enforcement officer. So they want to be knowledgeable to answer those questions correctly and, and have a good knowledge base and background of why I'm answering this question this way and why they're asking that question as well. Um, so it's kind of across the board, but a lot of times it is our, our safety manager, safety directors, and then ownership. And you said about 80% of what you do is leadership involved. And you mentioned insurance earlier. How does insurance play into all this? Yeah. So uh, a lot of times the insurance carrier, um, if you have a commercial fleet, they are very specific to insuring commercial fleet. So they, they have skin in the game as well. They want to make sure that you're in compliance. Mm-hmm. And if you have CDL drivers or, or those, the documentation, everything that's needed for those commercial drivers, um, they want to see that as well. And if I do these things and I'm providing training and I'm showing that, may help with rates as well from what we've seen over the years also. Got it. 
So the standard um, construction professional who has a company issued truck, company logoed, maybe it's a you know with the toolboxes on the sides and the back. What kind of information does that driver need, and does company need to have in place for that driver? Yeah. So so first and foremost, what's the GVWR of my truck? Do I pull a trailer? And then in combination, what are those way? Then do I cross state lines? Because again, do, do I understand those thresholds? The other part of that is if I do cross those thresholds, what regulations apply to me? Now, there are exemptions kind of across the industry um, depending on situations, but and, and very specific. That's why we go into a company. We look at their operation, how they operate, where they operate, what they drive, all about their drivers because then we can go in specifically and figure out how, how we can help. But uh, for that driver, what's that look like? And everything's really based on weight. Uh, a lot of times people think, well, just because it has air brakes, that now that's a CDL vehicle. That's not the case. It's all based on weight, and then those exemptions become part of that later down the road once you look at weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing weight, whatever I'm hauling, I got to tie it down. Um, so I have to make sure that I keep things tied down, not only from a vehicle dynamics perspective, because I don't want to have a problem as you're exiting and I'm, I'm going around that bend and I don't want to lose control. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also that I don't want anything flying off. And that's a big thing that DOT looks at. Um, they just had, again, we, um, break safety week, which was last week. One that they look at a lot is cargo securement. Um, and then am I a qualified driver? Um, these, in these last hundred days, they call them the hundred deadliest days from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Mm. They run three programs. There's road check that starts right before Labor Day in, in late May. Uh, they do National Safe Driver Week in July and then um, Brake Safety Week, which was last week. So you'll see a lot of those. You see a lot more enforcement those time of the year because our crashes um, increase drastically during these three months. Yeah. So, Drew, another thing that sets you apart that I appreciate because I've been on that side is the initial assessment of a company, right? You have a company that's not sure where they're at, where they fall. Uh, they give you a call. Do you want to walk through how you do that assessment? Yeah, sure. Uh, so for that initial that process? A, a lot of it's, you know, questions on our end, and then we just sit down. And, you know, here's what we want to look at. What are your vehicles? Show us your vehicles. And, and a, a lot of times it's, I think the GVWR is this, but let's right. go look. Let's, right. let's know exactly what it is. What are we dealing with? Do you fall in these regulations? Where are your projects? Are you operating outside of the state of Ohio or are you just in Ohio? And then that gives us good information. You need this. Let's start here. Let's start working on this with your drivers to put you in the right direction. And then we come back and we'll review. So that initial assessment, how long do you think that takes on average? A couple hours, usually, depending on size. If you've got a lot of drivers or a lot of trucks and you've got different stuff you want us to look at and what kind of equipment that they're hauling and those kind of things, it may take longer. Um, But I would say at minimum an hour with a couple trucks, um, you get over that, usually a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And an, another thing I think you mentioned you offer is when you when you get the program set up and you, you do a self-audit for these companies. You want to talk about that? Yeah, for so a minute? Um, absolutely. The Once they have everything that they, they need in place or they think they have based on what we looked at in the beginning, we'll come back and let's take a look. Okay, we're going to file through this. How's it look? Are you missing a piece here? Or we need to add this? Or we didn't get this into all those ve- those driver files, vehicle files, all those pieces. And, so. and you can think of the benefit, right? Especially if you're a safety manager or an owner trying to manage this. you got the day-to-day business you're trying right. to manage. And then you have Drew to fall back on to help help go through and edit your process, right? Yeah. Audit your process. It's, it's so valuable. 
it's valuable to have. It's, we don't have a lot of, um, professionals who are experts per se, right. right? In, in this wheelhouse. So it's, uh, Drew's, Drew and draft team is definitely a need for our membership. How do people get in touch? Uh, they can call um, office 330-922-3100, our website, driveteam.com, or email me. Um, and I'll, uh, use show notes or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I'll stick it uh, all in there. Yeah. My, my email, uh, asire at driveteam.com, uh, email, ask questions. Um, we're here to help. We want to make sure that, that you have the resource, that uh, that you're good, and your people are good to go as well. Yeah, and, and how we ran into Drew is... Uh, we don't run into anything. Yes, can't do that right. It wasn't a cold call, but Drew has been um, a sponsor of uh, Safety Day over the last few years. Okay. So he definitely supported the industry uh, in, in the uh, right ways to get get his name out there, plus the nice work they do and the compliments we've received from the from our members who use them. So you'll be with us in a couple of weeks at, on September 11th? Yes. Ken, how do people get involved with the committee? So they can uh, reach out to me through email. My first name, Kent, is CEACISP.org, or give me a call on my cell, 216-214-2913, and we can get them signed up. Um, you know, it's our first meeting, so expect a couple hours, I assume, right, as we put together a regular agenda and, and the needs of the group, and Drew's probably going to get bombarded with with update questions and, hey, where do I go for this? What do I do for that? So um, if you if you are a member in that need or think you may be in that need, it's probably a good committee to join. Right. Great. Anything else, Drew? Bring questions, ask questions. Um, I think that's going to stir a lot of conversation and I'm sure somebody's thinking it because they're not sure. So ask away. We want to make sure that we answer those and everybody's going in the right direction. Great. Well, thank you for your time. If anybody's listening and I'll, I'll post the information in the show notes, the DOT committee starts September 11th, September 11th, nine o'clock here at CEA and sign up. So. Please, I'm looking forward to seeing you. Thanks, Thanks Drew. for having me, guys. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate it. Looking forward to working with you. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.